Hey everyone, welcome to Heartwork Live. Uh, we're Kasra and Aram, your hosts. And today we have a really interesting uh, topic. I know it's going to be useful for a lot of Web3 founders, uh, especially early stage one, and that is regarding how to raise funds as a Web3 founder. Um, we are really delighted to be joining with uh, Caitlin from Karma Community. Uh, they are building a really cool tool for managing, growing, and rewarding your uh, Web3 communities. So yeah, thanks for being with us, Caitlin. How are you doing? It's a pleasure to be on. I'm doing well. How are you? All good here. Um, yeah, so as I mentioned, like this topic is probably really relevant for both of the companies that we're working uh, at the moment because it was about six months ago that we also and raised our pre-seed round. And we had some bumps on the road, we had some experiences. Um, so I'm really excited to just jump into details about this and hopefully have some good insights for the folks who are um, trying to raise some funds for as a Web3 founder. Uh, but before maybe starting, would you like to tell us a bit your background, what made you interested in working in a blockchain startup? Yeah, of course. Um, so my background is actually in uh, more traditional Web2 CRM and email marketing SaaS platforms. Um, I then went to business school and while I was at business school, I was exploring different startup ideas. I think blockchain is interesting, obviously, for a lot of technical reasons um, from the infrastructure layer. But really what got me excited, given my traditional marketing background, is how the paradigm of Web3 in the sense that you can do community-led growth and you can reward people for participating and contributing really changes the way that marketing can be done. And that's really what got us to start Karma was how do we build the infrastructure to make that happen, allow you to contribute um, and grow the community from this community-led growth perspective and then um, reward those people for, for doing those activities. Um, and so that was the inspiration behind Karma. We um, started earlier this year and then I think similar to you all, went out and raised our pre-seed kind of right in the middle of the summer when we're just going downhill, just macro markets as well as crypto markets and it just keeps tumbling. Um, but it was a great experience, a great learning experience. And um, there's a lot to build in this space. There's a lot of interest from investors. There's a lot of activity. There's a lot of um, people who are playing around, developers, everything. So it's an exciting space to be playing in right now. Yeah, absolutely. It's just probably similar to the, even like probably 2000 is a bit of exaggeration. I think it's like pre-internet, like things are there's so many ways we can improve these things. And you know, as founders, it also gives us a lot of, you know, excitement that hopefully we can be part of something. Um, so, but just trying to go to the point of, you know, when is the right time to start, you know, thinking about raising funds? And as you know, there are different ways of doing it. For example, you can try to build um, MVP or something, try to have some users, uh, but sometimes you need that bit of first, like a bit of money to get you started. So yeah. when do you think is the right time to think, hey, I actually need to go and raise money for my startup? It's a great question and one that my co-founder and I talked about a lot of should we go raise now? Should we try to bootstrap, get more traction, go raise later? How does that affect our valuation? All those type of questions. And I'd be interested to hear how you guys had those conversations when you came out on it. We actually did start to build the MVP before we went out and fundraised. And I think this was actually... Not necessarily a mistake, but a caveat I would give to other founders going out and raising, which is we expected the biggest risk that investors saw was in the technology and the ability to build the product. And that's actually the least of their worries. Every day, like People are building products all the time now. That's, that's not what they're worried about. They're not worried that developers can build an MVP. What they're worried about is how do you get traction? How do you enter the market? What's your distribution strategy? What's your go-to-market strategy? what is your right to play in this market, especially Web3, which is a very both tight and spread community at the same time with specific profiles and you have influencers and it's just a lot of noise in the market. And I think we started from the technical perspective, building the product and then went out to the investors. And there was a lot of questions of how you validated this pain point. How are you going to grow and, and beat your product? Um, kind of what's your business model? Have you shown that there's some willingness to pay? What are people using today? Um, and I think we were less prepared for that. So on the question of, you know, do you go out with an MVP or not? I think if I were to do it again, I would actually probably lead more into how to build a following, whether that's a wait list or a following from social media or start to build an organic community around this idea before building the product itself. And the question of when to go out and raise, I think it's, you need, you need 
something exciting to talk about. It's not just, I mean, I think prior to the market crashing, you could have gone out with a Figma and an idea and gotten investors really excited, maybe from your background, had some relevance and as some founder market fit. But now I think even more so in this market, it's uh, how do you show something exciting? How do you show that there's traction just from people getting excited about your product or show traction that you're able to grow a community and a following around a product or maybe even an LOI or some early customer or something that you can prove to investors. I'm serious about this, especially given what we're raising pre-seed. There's a lot of people that I think are, if you're a first-time founder, if you're raising you know, a small 500K or a million dollar, if you're pre-seed round, um, you kind of need to show a little bit of validity to investors. Hey, I'm serious about this. I'm deep into this space. I know people in this space. I can get distribution of the product and I know what people want. And that's the proof point that I really think they're looking for. So once you have something, again, maybe it's a wait list, maybe it's a following, maybe maybe it's an MVP with a couple people using it, which is where we were when we went out and fundraised. Something that you think tells the right story that's just to get investors excited, that's the right time. I wouldn't try to time the market. And I'm curious how you guys think about this as well. Is like, you need to raise when you need to raise. And sometimes that's a personal decision to make. For us, it was, we either go get a job or we or we double down on the startup and we just need to raise and get going. And it was a, as clear of a decision of that as we're, we really want to do the startup and we have something exciting here and let's get some investors on board um, and get going. Yeah, I can totally relate to it. We also had this product mindset from the beginning that yeah. We looked at the blockchain space and thought that, okay, these needs are there. And we kind of try to fake, you know, talking to some customers, but it's not as relevant as, you know, you, at least you have a, maybe some contracts or at, as you mentioned, you have a kind of a community or something that they actually have that pain point. Um, so like one of the examples was we were trying to fix the liquidity problem in the NFT space um, or try to, you know, make the like rock pools in the nft space a bit a bit uh, a bit safer so people can avoid them but because all those things were happening inside our head without too much validation then you know it's not enough for the investors to make sure that you know it's, it's a real problem it can grow and all of that and i think to your point also when is the right time to raise funds like for me it's, it's twofold like the first one is i think if it's cheap to raise funds, I think you should do it if, if you have a really good deal and it kind of makes sense for you or your back is against the one. And exactly as you, like me and Aaron, were both um, had, you know, fiat money jobs. So we were really not interested in that or we wanted to do something in the blockchain. And the path to that was just a bit of money that can get us going. So for us, it was also a no-brainer to do that. Uh, but yeah, Aram, what do you think about this? Uh, when is the right time in your opinion to start having the conversation with uh, investors? Yeah, I, I can say I 100% agree with uh, Caitlin about um, we, we spend, um, let's say, eight months uh, developing the product aspect and understanding, hey, what does it take to, you know, have the logistics going? Um, but actually the... What, what helped us in our, in our round was our background. When we said, hey, we have done this before, we had a startup and like we are good at building products and uh, they didn't even need to see the product. And we, I think we didn't even demo the product. We were just talking about the general idea and the fact that we are so interested in this that we are happy to risk our visa because we are coming from Iran, we are in Europe and visa for us is kind of uh, like a golden key for us to be here. And we were saying, like, we are happy to risk this because that's how much we believe in, uh, you know, in Web3 and we, in what we want to do. And that was the key to get people on board. Um, so I 100% agree that the, the product is, um, um, is necessary, but not enough. Definitely not enough. Um, so... Uh, and about the distribution, I, I totally agree that if you at least uh, have a network of uh, basically like the found product founder fit that, hey, I have a network of people that I know uh, that will be the first customers. And uh, I'm kind of an expert in this ca category because of my past, you know, background. That's going to help a lot. There are, you know, people in our category, in kind of our competitors that, uh, they have an edge because they already have a community, as you mentioned, like following, like let's say 100K followers. And that's a really strong, you know, platform 
to kickstart. Um, it's definitely not everything, but it is really important. Um, so to me, in terms of timing is when you find uh, like a, let's say, a product founder fit and a market that you feel like, okay, this is, um, there's an opportunity here and I think I can tackle it. Um, either way, like either if you, if you want to have an MVP and a one or two customers, that is okay. If you can go to an investor and talk to them and they are, you know, they can risk uh, on you then, and you don't need the product is fine. That is also, you know, completely possible. Um, maybe the main point for me was for me and Castro was, we couldn't do it without uh, raising funds. Uh, we had to pack our bags and go back to Iran because you know we, we needed to keep the visa. So therefore we needed to have like some fiat payment somehow. And uh, we basically like got one fifth of salary just to keep our visa. And because of that, we needed to raise funds. Um, and my last point is that the biggest benefit for us of doing that was we had to present ourselves to people who are serious. It's not like talking to your friend, hey, I have this idea, what do you think? And they say, oh, this is nice. It was actually someone who wanted to put their money so they will ask the right questions. They will ask the questions that you were like, oh my God, I wasn't prepared for this question. Uh, so that experience is actually important to go through. Um, as the sooner, the better, you know? Um, and uh, it makes you actually take it more seriously. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's what I would say. Yeah. Definitely. Agree. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It, was, it wasn't the product. It wasn't. It was mostly us. And, you know, also the timing of the market sometimes helps with the investors as well. But the question to both of you, like, what are the first? OK, imagine that. OK, I need to raise funds. It's the right time to do it. What are the first steps that you would take to start the process? Um, Caitlin, maybe would you like to start? Yeah, so there's the process in terms of how you get the pitch deck, the company, your story, your co-founder, your team built out and ready to go. And then I think there's maybe the more tactical process of how do you start reaching out to investors and start kicking off that process, which in and of itself is kind of this whole entire thing that we realized was was like there's a... Uh, there's kind of a, a game behind it. But I think um, for us, we spent a lot of time thinking up the story. I think to both of your guys' point, being able to tell, you know, your background and why you're passionate about it and why you have that fit and who your network is that you'll be able to sell to, that story is incredibly powerful. And just getting reps of the pitch deck, which pitch decks, there's just common slides in, every, in all the pitch decks that you need to have. Investors have common questions that they always ask. It's kind of like going through an interview process. The more you can prepare and all of this, like if you Google it, there's a bunch of just common questions. The more you prepare, the more your story is very clean and clear. And what investors will remember is that story. Um, and so that's what we spent a lot of time nailing down is what's our co-founder story? How did we meet? What's the product? How did we get to it? What's our motivation? Why do we want to be in Web3? Why do we want to be founders and not go work you know, in consulting or something like that? So there's kind of the process around that. And I, I think that it was very valuable to spend time there, not only to prep that story for investors, but also clear that up ourselves as co-founders. Like to go, it forces you to go through that process and have those conversations of why are we doing this? What do we actually think this is gonna look like? What are the risks? What is our business model? And so it's just a valuable exercise to go through and we kind of started there. Um, then there's kind of the process of like, do you think that you have enough of a compelling story to bring to investors? Do you think that you have the conviction or that um, you'll be able to convey enough that they'll be able to get convicted in this idea? And that goes back to what we were talking about of can whether it's the MVP with early customers or a network or something. And if you don't have that, I would say like the next step, once you and the co-founding team or you, if you're a single founder, have the story of why you want to do it and what the pain point is, they have some type of validation or gone out and got that kind of credibility from the market that you have something interesting. And then there's the process of how you kick it off with investors. And I think I'd be curious what you guys have heard about this. We've kind of heard like you kind of want to keep it to two months. You want to do it in very quick succession, basically pack a bunch of meetings into a short period, maybe two weeks. It gives time for investors to kind of go to their meetings. So they have meetings every Monday where they review all of the 
um, investments they've seen the prior week with the entire investment team. And then they, once they're interested, if they're actually interested, the turnaround time becomes very quick. And then you'll start to get, you know, maybe you, you pack a bunch of meetings into two weeks. And then after those two weeks, you'll start to get some that come back and are interested. And kind of advice we got was like, pack a bunch of meetings into maybe two weeks, max four weeks, max a month. Um, if there's people who kind of leave you hanging, like don't, don't try to try to chase the ones that aren't interested. If they're not interested, they're not interested. The ones that actually start to be interested in you will come back and ask for another meeting, maybe with a larger partner group or just another meeting to start getting deeper into kind of the diligence process. And then you'll move into the actual diligence process. But I would say the best advice we got is just go after a lot of investors at one time, um, pack a bunch of meetings in really quickly, because at the point that you drag it on past two months, it starts to be kind of like a, a bad look. Um, you want to get brailed a lot of uh, FOMO and hype around this investment, make it really quick, um, drive investors to the close, drive them to an answer. Um, and then I think there's a little bit of a question, which maybe we can get into of like who you target, which investors are you targeting? Make sure you're targeting the pre investors, be thoughtful, are you going after you know, Web3 investors or could you play in a Web 2.5 space? Maybe there's some interesting Web2 investors who might um, be interested in you. So um, just a lot of thoughts, but I hope that's helpful. Yeah, these are super helpful. I think time boxing the you know raising funds process is genius in my opinion because not only it forces you to get to the result faster, but I think the thing I like to think is it, not the FOMO is that you know you don't want to look desperate to investors yeah. because you would say okay no matter what I still have enough conviction in this I want to go forward and also yeah. as you mentioned there's no point of trying to um, convince someone that in their head they have crossed you off for whatever reason uh, that's also a discussion I really want to have like what type of investors we have because there are different ones with different agendas different outlooks and all of that but yeah those are kind of the experiences that we had and Aram would you like to go a bit into detail like what was our experience with raising uh, the funds yeah, I think the the process. Um, besides the kind of uh, the classic, uh, you know, steps that you have to have, you know, the pitch there that covers, you know, the problem, solution, how you're gonna make money, the distribution. Uh, uh, these are really important, uh, but there are a lot of contents about it. Uh, so, like, we basically read a you know a bunch of articles, a lot of videos, how people do it, you know, Y Combinator videos, and and try to see, okay, what are the top um, important points that you need to make um, and what is a good answer about what problem are you trying to solve um, because usually the first thing that comes to your mind is not actually you're talking about the solution uh, you're not talking about like what's the actual problem you're trying to solve so like like this is the first step to get you know the material ready in, in your head I think the the second step is to uh, actually go through this idea maze of why are you doing this? What makes you different from this other one? Basically trying to think about what you're doing and the, your business and, and your product so deep that there's no, uh, you know, there's no route that you haven't you know, traveled in terms of what, what if this happens? What if that happens? Uh, like, can you compare yourself to this other alternative, this other alternative? How do you want to, you know, tackle all these challenges and those challenges. Uh, if, if you think about them enough, then, you know, that's that's a preparation that I think is really necessary. Um, and if, if you're super passionate about the problem or the space, you're probably already there because you this is your life. You always are talking about it. But I think if you don't have it, the investors can quickly understand in, in a meeting. They ask the first and second question, and they know that you haven't spent enough time on this. They know that is this is just, a, you know, for you is a, hey, let me test this to see if it works. And then if it works, then I'm going to put my life on it. But you have to give the other impression that you have already put everything in this. And uh, whether they, you know, join your path or not, you know, is their decision. And if they join, you know, it's a good decision. You know, that's, that's the kind of feeling you want to put uh, in that meeting. Um, and practically for us, um, uh, we were actually super lucky that that's the part that I'm not happy about, but I mean, I I'm really grateful, but I'm not happy because it was luck. If we go back, it might not happen again. Um, it was a really funny story that, uh, um, my wife was walking our dog and then 
there was this person also have a dog and you know playing with the you know for a, like a few days you know dog playing and and then uh after like three four days my wife realized that he he has a like a, a pfp uh image uh, on on telegram profile i was like oh interesting are you in nfts and he said yes and then uh we got connected and he said oh, I'm, ac- I'm actually an angel investor and and we told him hey this is our um uh, startup we are working on it we are actually full-time this is the thing that we are doing on the on the weekends and we haven't had any weekends for the past i don't know six eight months after a couple of you know conversations uh he helped us to get connected to his network and i think that that was like a golden key for us and how important it is to have a right network and a good network and connections uh, because through him we could get connected to a lot of uh, you know valuable investors merry circle and and uh, all basically all the angel investors in our round and uh, as you said uh, we also were on a kind of a um, like a mission to close this as soon as possible, uh, get in front of these people, show them what we have uh, and go to the next one, the next one. And I think it took probably three weeks for us, three to four weeks for us to uh, basically exhaust all the, you know, let's say warm investor leads that we had through these kind of people. Um, and uh, by the, yeah, by the week four, uh, again, we were lucky that we could hit our goal. Our goal was 600K and then we could hit it and even further, like we raised uh, close to a billion. And for us, it was like, wow, uh, so fast. And um, so I, I think the most important parts of this process was we needed to prepare enough. Um, I think we could do it like shorter. We didn't need to spend so much time to prepare for raising. Um just having, you know, the story straight and knowing what we want to do, that that should have been enough. Uh, and then, as you said, getting to these investors, sending like an intro email, talking to them, maybe follow up once if, you know, you, you need an answer. Uh, but yeah, if you follow up three times, that's already probably gone. I mean, uh, you need to go fast. Um, so yeah, like four, four weeks was a time for us to say, okay, is this that we have compelling enough to have people support us because this is the early, early startup. Everything is going to change except us as people. Can we find people who, who support us and, you know, the general market that we are going after? Um, and that was the goal. And fortunately, after, you know, the week four, we got an answer that, yeah, enough people kind of believe in you and also believe in the market. That, that, that's what I could say about uh, our pro- process. Yeah, I think also one of the cool things that happened to me after that whole process, uh, when we have kind of said, okay, we have enough money to go after what we want to do. I still try to poke some strategic investors like two or three months after that, because for example, like Y Combinator was one of them. And the funny experience was because we were not really desperate, then, you know, you go to that meeting and, you know, it's a, it's really a learning opportunity because whatever problem they point out, then you don't take it personally. And you try to say, okay, I can can learn from their feedback or whatever that is. So yeah, that was also a really cool experience. Hopefully in the next rounds that both of us have, like I don't think it's a really good position to like be desperate for money. So you can just focus on getting the right investors for you for your startup. For me, just trying to go to the point of what type of investors are out there and how should you think about them? Because I, I remember, Katrin, you had a Twitter uh, post that you mentioned, okay, there are two types of investors. One of them is uh, they're more formal driven. They're looking for the actual numbers, like traction, whatever that is. They're only looking for that. I have seen in Shark Tank also sometimes. And there's the one that kind of believe in you or the team and they're more thesis driven. Would you like to elaborate a bit on that and what was your experience with both type of investors? Yeah, for sure. Um, and that's an amazing story, your guys' fundraising story. I, I love that. Um, so I think there's two points. There's like the kind of investors, how you kind of find uh, find them and, and through conversations uh, start to figure out what they're looking for um, 
And then I think there's a point of kind of going back how you how you reach out to them um, and how you ask for advice, not ask for money. If I were to do it again, I think that would be my one uh, piece of advice. Uh, so the investors, there's a, there's a couple different dimensions. And I think the clear one that people will always tell you is the dimension of go after people who are writing the size check that you're looking for. So um, if there are investors that have typical check sizes, sometimes it's publicly posted, sometimes it's not. But if you're going after investor, and unfortunately, we made this mistake a couple times, if you're going after investor that only does series A and series B, they write their checks are going to be too large to get into your seed round, especially if you're raising around the 1 million round. So they'll take the meeting and they'll listen, but then they'll be like, come back to us later. Come back to us when you have your attraction, come back to us when you're raising a larger round. Um, so it's just going to be an immediate no and somewhat of a waste of time at the point that you're raising a pre-seed round. So um, that's kind of like the clearest divide or go after people who are willing and most commonly write the size checks that you're looking for. Then there's another dimension, especially for us, because we were playing uh, we wanted to play in the very Web3 space, but we had this opportunity to also play in the Web2.5 space, given that there was a lot of Web2 brands coming in, launching NFTs, needing some of the infrastructure that we were building, I think probably similar to you guys. So it was a question of uh, where to play. And that one was specifically interesting because if you go off to a traditional investor who is used to investing in SaaS, understands enterprise SaaS business models, will look at the Web3 market and say the Web3 market is not large enough. Um, and so you have to know how to pitch uh, a market size that maybe they don't believe exists and whether you're going after Web3 or going after Web2 and where you say that you're going to capture that market to make it a big enough investment for them to want to invest in. If you're going after Web3 investors, obviously, the Web3 investors already believe the market either is big enough now or will grow soon enough to make for a valuable investment. And then you're pitching more so what's the pain point? what's the go-to-market, and I think even more so, what's the vision? Um, and I think you guys made a great point about this of like really thinking through all of the different stories of the product because uh, they're going to start asking you about it and you need to make sure you've thought through all the different ways it may go. Um, and I think what we did not do well enough is think about the vision. We were like, what's the pain point today? What's the product we're building today? Who's going to use it today? And um, if you're thinking, of, if you put yourself in the mind of investor, they're thinking five, 10 years down the road, what's the large vision? Where is the market headed? And how do we know this team can both get traction right now, but more so in five to 10 years, actually grow with the market in, and grow into this vision that they have. And so we were pitching this almost tiny market because we were pitching our current MVP, traction of that MVP and not pitching the larger vision. And so I would urge any founder going out and fundraising think about both because ultimately you're building towards this vision it's what they look for in founders or people with a vision but also you need to be able to build something that will get traction today um, so that's kind of the difference in the web 3 and web 2 um, and i think the other thing that i'll say about web 3 investors is that uh, not only are they looking for people who have the network or the ability to distribute into the market but they're looking for people that deeply understand web 3 and for us coming from a background who are not traditional DGENs in a sense, we haven't been you know, in crypto since 2018. We recently got interested in it and got very passionate about it. It's not something that our background or our history really speaks to the fact that we are deeply into Web3. So that became another hurdle of explaining not only you know, how we can get distribution, but that we deeply understand all of the pain points in the market. So we actually found a lot of traction with kind of this Web2 investors that were interested in getting exposure to Web3 and were interested in B2B SaaS or enterprise SaaS is what we were building. And so it was enough of a conviction of there's something here, we're interested in the business model, we're interested in the founders, um, and we'll just believe that there's either a market in Web3 or they'll be able to capture some of the Web2 market, which makes it just a, a valuable enough market to go after. Um, but you mentioned this, this post um, that I had. It's, it's interesting because I'm now a founder, but I was previously working in VC. And so I think I've seen both sides of it. And especially in pre-seed, there is not much data to go on. So at the point you're at like series A or series B, there's data to model out. There's a market that you can do math behind. Granted, that math is never perfect because you're projecting five to 10 years and a ton of market dynamics, but there's some numbers. At pre-seed and maybe even seed, there are no numbers to go off. The only thing they have to really go off is you as founders and your story and their belief that you have the, the conviction, the passion, the ability to execute towards that vision. And it was, it was funny because when I was doing early stage investments, like that's, there's always this tension because as an investor, you want to believe that the idea is like genius and that there's going to be a ton of traction and that like it's totally this idea that's going to win. But the reality of it is that almost every early stage startup pivots. 
And so what are you investing in? You're investing in founders that have the conviction to go after a market and idea that they're passionate about, but also are humble enough to realize maybe their initial idea isn't perfect and can pivot and find the right opportunity at the right time and go after it. So pre-seed investors at the heart are looking for a founder team that they believe can execute, can pivot, um, can stay in tune to the market. And that's what they're investing in. But you go out and talk to investors and they'll be like, who else is in your cap table? Uh, who do you have as a client? How much traction? How many Twitter followers do you have? And it's just, there was this weird dynamic for us of the investors that were asking more about us versus the investors that were asking about who else was interested in us. And it was a very clear dynamic of, are, are they following along to the hype and the FOMO that we built? Or are they investing in us because they believe in us as founders? Wow, that, that's such an interesting experience because for us, it was also kind of the same that like in the past six months or one year, we have changed so many aspects of the business. And even okay. today, I think we can, we can say, okay, we're really not clear what is going to be the path forward because things are changing. So what you can bet on is a great execution team and the people who have the flexibility and the, are humble enough that they can just move through these uncertain times and uncertain product aspects and everything. Um, so yeah, there are definitely people that, you know, just believed in that. But there are also people that, you know, I'm looking, looking at this market and say, are you the people to take advantage of that market in the short term or even in the long term? And they're, as you mentioned, they're basing that on Twitter followers or like, yeah, yeah. What, what have you done previously? And again, I, I believe in the hum capital, human capital, like as a, um, as something, there are some Twitter influencers or whatever that is, that they can do some stuff with that network and capital. But uh, yeah, I don't think that's the only way that you can do it. Um, so, but that's still like one of the hurdles that we have. Uh, even, I'm, I'm not sure if it's a smart thing to mention it right now, but hopefully Y Combinator will not see it and will kind of accept us in future. But one of the reasons that I think they rejected our application when we applied for Y Combinator was, um, we see you guys, we see that you have um, the, the right team and everything, but your numbers don't kind of, you know, match our expectation. And, you know, the answer to that is like, this market is still very, very small. Like for example, yes. Yes. the 20 games that I'm talking to them right now, 19 of them cannot still like come to this market. So you have to look a bit beyond what is happening right now. And maybe like if you believe in the space much more, um, then yeah, you're going to have an easier time with that investor. Uh, Aram, what do you think about the type of investor we had? Like, would you put them in the same category? Do you have another categorization in, in your mind? Yeah, I was thinking about it. Um, I think um, if I'm being honest, uh, the people we talked to, almost all of them were kind of in Web3. We didn't get a chance to talk to, let's say, traditional uh, investors that you have to explain like uh, what is a like a decentralization what does it mean we didn't have those kind of people as far as i remember but we had people who were kind of let's say builder in in web3 and we had people who were traders in web3 so that was the kind of a distinction that we had we also had people who were in different ecosystems like we talked to people from solana ecosystem and people you know from Ethereum ecosystem and also people from, let's say, Asian markets, you know, let's say people who are mainly active in Binance chain and, you know, um, like OKC chain. I think these these were also like three categories of people that we talked to besides the kind of the builder trader uh, mindset. Um, I, I think the trader mindset, uh, it was mainly about, uh, yeah, raw numbers and, you know, what's going on from all these NFT collections, like for our project, from these NFT collections, like how many can you get and how much money can you, you know, have as a revenue from these projects? These were the sort of, you know, the things that they were interested in, uh, because that's what, you know, they're, they're expert at, you know, these numbers and uh, these aspects. Uh, and then on the other side, I, I can put Mary Circle, for example, on the other side that they were fully, um, like, they fully understand what it means, uh, like Web3, what is the future look like and what aspects of 
us, they need to be asking questions. And as you mentioned, they were mainly interested about the vision and reasons that you can leave uh, every day to the next day and, you know, go, go forward. Like, show me some reasons that you can walk. And that means technical ability, passion, like having some sort of, as you said, conviction about your everyday life that you can move. And also talk to me about, you know, the vision you have about the future of this. Uh, how do you see it? And um, the more clear you are about the vision, it means that you have thought about it a lot. It doesn't mean that you're right, but it means that you have thought about it a lot. And when you are when you have a clear picture, even if that picture, nobody knows if it's reality or not, but if you're hiring people, if you're raising the next round, because you have a clear picture, you have an easier time to onboard people. And that's that's really important. So not necessarily that that is the actual future, but at least you're clear about you know, where you want to go. Um, so yeah, we had all these uh, different types. Um, I think in our experience, we had a really hard time talking to people who were asking about numbers and revenue and how do you want to, let's say, differentiate yourself against someone who wants to crush you? Because these questions, like it really depends on where we end up being and who we will meet during this you know, journey. Uh, for example, if, I don't know, we have a certain customer or a certain partnership that could help us to create a moat. Like uh, if, if you want me right now to expect what would be the moat in like one year, it's really hard to say. And for these kind of investors, we really had a hard time communicating that, you know, they, they have to invest in us and back us because they were looking for signals that we were not best at kind of giving them the answers. And on the other side, we had investors who was like, like this, literally like after, you know, five minutes of discussion, we really liked them. They really liked us. We knew that we were going to get value from them in terms of, you know, their network, what they're doing, the way they understand what we are, where we are going. And um, also they were clear on, you know, um, like the relationship that we were going to have. Uh, and for those kind, um, Mary Circle is one of them. It was really easy, um, you know, um, and uh, I, I think, yeah, these, these were the types. And maybe the last point I would make is, um, it, it's really important which ecosystem, for example, in Solana ecosystem, um, I mean, it's, how can I say, even though it's not about technical stuff, but because, you know, it's Solana and, you know, you're on Ethereum, at least in our case, they were not interested, not because of the vision or the team or none of those things, just because we are not in Solana and kind of makes sense because, you know, they are in the Solana ecosystem and we have nothing to do with that because of our technical, you know, decision of going with the Ethereum ecosystem. Um, so maybe that's something that I would say it's really important to make a decision if it's really, I'm not sure, for example, in Karma, how it kind of is related to the kind of the chain. Uh, for us, it's kind of really close to the chain. So we had to kind of make a decision. Do we want to go Solana? Do we want to go Ethereum? And for many, many, many reasons, we chose to go to Ethereum. Um, so that's the kind of the other kind of categorization of the investors. Um, so yeah, that's that's it. Oh, wow. Really cool categorization. I think it's going to help people to understand how they should approach these investors. And I think the point I want to add to that is um, I really don't like some startups getting really crazy valuations because, again, justifies the point of pre-seed, just creates unnecessary expectation. Um, so I think we raise good amount of money, but uh, I really hope for everyone's sake that these valuations are reasonable because if it's not, then it just creates the wrong expectation. But also on the investor side, they shouldn't expect an early stage startup to have all the numbers. Those are the questions for probably um, next rounds. Uh, you, you should have your numbers, you should have nailed them down. Um, I, I think the most important thing for investors is what do you expect out of this relationship um i know some people when they haven't raised money they think that an investor can fix a lot of their problems um which in reality maybe that's not the case um they they're busy people obviously and they have a capacity to help you in some aspects um Caitlin, if you had a magic wand you know what is an ideal investor would 
provide your startup with? What, what are the things that would be like in the ideal world, this investor is going to provide me besides the money, obviously? I think it's opening up their, their network um, and specifically to other investors. I think investors try to help introduce you to potential clients or customers and then to other investors. Um, and where we've seen the most value of what other investors can unlock is actually introduction to other investors, whether it's to close out the round or um, to prepare for next round or get you connected to accelerators or things like that, just whatever it is. Investors are very well connected to other investors. And I think that's actually where in our day-to-day, -day, when we are, um, like I, I'd put the onus on the, the founding team and the startup itself to do the day-to-day -day execution, which in my mind includes talking to customers and doing outreach and doing those sales motions. And then really when you start to interface with the investor, other than maybe like monthly emails is, okay, it's time to raise the next round. And at that point, it's um, it, I'm looking for advice about the market and terms and what they're seeing and is now the right time and what are, they, well, you know, what are other investors looking for. Um, and that's where they really come in handy is advice and then introduction to the right investors because they know the type of investors that would be willing to invest. And so we've had this talk with our Investor 24 Ventures is uh, our lead investor. They've been incredible in terms of um, you know, going after Web3 versus Web2, especially in the next round, or starting to think about, you know, how would we do that market sizing to prefer, prepare for the next round and who would be good introductions to make? And they've been incredibly helpful in that front. Um, so I'd say it's really um, find an investor who's willing to open up the network and, and make those introductions for you. Not every investor is, because as you mentioned, they're very busy. Um, but it's just been a huge help. Uh, help to us and especially allows us to kind of take our mind share out of doing the whole um, relationships with investors and allow us to focus our entire mind share purely on building the company. Yeah, I think I'd really like your summarization. It's uh, except the money is always like advice. It's a sanity check against someone who has done it before, hopefully as a builder that, for example, is it the right time for me to think about pricing? Or uh, for example, I'm struggling to find customers. Is this normal, not normal? And for example, one of the investors that we have, few of the investors that we have, it's just really useful to have these checks with them uh, and they can always bring us back to reality or you know, correct the course. And obviously, probably the most important one is you know, opening doors. And I think that's the point that is get, when you're in the process of trying to raise money, maybe you just get a bit, um, um, you want to raise money from everyone and again, depending on your situation, maybe you should do that. But sometimes it's okay to raise funds from more strategic people that you see, okay, you look behind like only the transaction and see, um, this is my target um, audience. Can this person hopefully open some doors? Because um, as you mentioned, the day-to-day -day activities on us, we need to approach like hundred, hundreds of people, thousands of people. But there are some groups of people or customers that, you know, an investor can hopefully open the doors to that much, much easier. So if that's the case, then that's going to be a win-win because they're going to win as well uh, as an outcome of that process. Um, so, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, Aram, anything to add about the expectation of the investor? Um, I, I really agree with, the, with these two points um, uh, that uh, the network in terms of both you know, other investors and customers, I think that's kind of the minimum investors should be doing because you know, they have a stake in your success unless they, you know, they see really big red flags. And you know, majority of the cases not like that because they have you know, already done the due diligence. They already you know, know who you are. So that, that should be usually the, the minimum. If I was an investor, I would that's the minimum I would do, you know, connecting people to who I think might be helpful, you know, to, to the startup that I invested. Uh, after that, uh, we were super lucky in this sense, but I know that how hard it could be um, if, if this is not the case. What I would expect is for the investor to not uh, create uh, unnecessary tension or unnecessary, let's say, reporting requirements like asking you hey what have you done what have you done like a, you know like a expectation that it's like you're a machine that you're you know working for them uh, i think that's the 
next thing I would expect that investors should not be like that. Uh, instead, they should be every time they should be like, do not report to me. What problem do you have now? And you think I can help? And we were super lucky to, that all of our investors are like that. And I didn't know how important it is until it happened. Uh, like the experience we had back in Iran, it was completely the opposite. Like it was like people, like these people would come to us as if like we are their employees and we have to report on the, you know, the profit and the revenue. And uh, that's not going to help. That's just going to create, you know, like hurt the morale and everything. Um, so I, I would say that's the second one. Um, we were super lucky with that. Um other than that, I cannot expect really from investors. Maybe is it like an optional to give you advice and kind of if they see something, you know, in, in the world that is related to your startup that because mo most of the time um, we are building heads down and we are not looking at what's happening in the market. And, you know, we might be missing a few things. Um it would be really great if, you know, like a um, investor comes and tells you, hey, by the way, did you know that this regulation is upcoming in Europe and that might be interesting for your startup? And uh, things that you are not necessarily looking for every day because you're building the product, talking to customers, busy, busy. So, um, yeah, this third category, I would say, if they see something that is helpful for you, definitely you should tell you. That's that's. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, yeah, the three pillars, I, I'm always going to have it in my mind when working with investors. Um, so I think we talked about our experience has been probably only with angel investors, like the traditional way of going and raising money for early stage startup. But we know that there are other options out there. Um, there is, for example, some accelerator programs or there are some DAOs that you can participate and get funding from like the crowd community or whatever that is. Um, I probably VC funding is not gonna be relevant for pre-stage so we can just ignore that one. There's friends and family obviously always, uh, grants that you can go and get from these platforms. Um, what are your thoughts about alternative ways of getting funding? For example, as a quick um, example, the thing that comes to my mind was a DAO back in the day that we were trying to raise funds. It was called, I think, Hyperscale. And they were trying to raise funds as a DAO or community. And it didn't have enough coordination to for a, you know, a project to go there and pitch and get all the benefits and get the results. So I think that infrastructure is, is still not ready uh, for those type of purposes. Uh, but Caitlin, what was your experience? Did you evaluate any other ways of getting these funds or just the angel investors was the first thing that came to your mind when going for this? Yeah, there's a lot of different options. And I think even we, when we were going out, didn't uh, all of the options, but you mentioned a few. I mean, there's even, we went to a bunch of conferences, which is a very Web3 thing to do. And at the conferences, there's always hackathons. There's ways to win money, even if it's small amounts of money. That gets you a lot of exposure because there tends to be a lot of investors at these conferences. So it's a non-dilutive source of funding. It's access to investors. It's kind of credibility. So I think hackathons is a great way to go. Um, there's a lot of accelerators. I mean, Alliance, A16Z Crypto just launched an accelerator. So there's a lot of these different accelerators. Um, I would be, be cautious in terms of how much... Um, equity they do take uh, if they do equity. Um, there's some kind of incubator accelerator that tend to be more like a mini conference um, that like Pillar VC, I know did one recently uh, that I was a part of where it's it's just to, a way to meet other people, to meet the investors, to talk about your idea. Um, there's no funding involved, there's no equity, um, but there are accelerators who do take a lot of equity. And so sometimes those accelerators tend to be great brand names that are gonna be worth it in you when you go out and raise your next funds. Um, but I would just be cautious of how much um, they take there. There is friends and family. I know a lot of people who have raised from a friends and family round. And then as you mentioned, uh, there are a lot of grants, which I think depends on exactly what product you're building. I know you mentioned it, uh, the which chain you're building on for you guys matters. So knowing which chain you're building on and being intentional about that and looking at the grant program. So uh, like if you're building on a specific chain, a lot of the grant programs tend to be great sources of funding um, and you can get a, a large amount of funding from some of these grants. Uh, we got a grant from Alchemy um, just because we care more about the on-chain data side and they give out different grants. 
Um, and beyond grants, there's also a lot of kind of credits um, that different softwares will give you just for building on top of them. So it's another great source of kind of like being scrappy without getting necessarily funding. Um, and then we actually, we went after both angels and VCs. So for the most part, our funding was done by just traditional venture capital investors. Um, I'd say that uh, where we kind of went wrong was we, we, were, we wanted to go after VCs, but we went straight to them in that, you know, two to three week period of fundraising, asking them for money. And they start just grilling you on, you know, what is your mode, all those questions that you were like, how, how would we kind of know how to answer that? And if I were to do it again, and I've seen other people do this very successfully, is you start with a period where you ask um, for introductions to investors and you purely ask the investors for advice. You say, this is my idea. This is what we're doing. This is the traction. This is how I'm going to market. This is my idea of the moat. Would you have any advice? Do you have practices? How do you think about this? And you start to brainstorm. I found investors tend to be much more open to talking to you when you're not asking for money. And you have a lot more leverage in that type of discussion, that type of relationship, because it's not not a I'm for money and then you're the decision maker. It is this is a conversation where we both have value to add. And so there's a lot more balance in the relationship. And it also gives you an idea of what investors are looking for in terms of how they want you to answer specific questions. Um, so we didn't do that. Unfortunately, it made it very hard. We got a lot of really rough questions and a lot of no's. But if I were to do it again, um, I'd go after non-dilutive sources of funding. I'm personally not sure I'd go through an accelerator, but that's a personal choice. Um, and then I'd go after angel um, and VCs, but in a little bit more of a uh, let's let, let me hear your feedback. Let me hear your advice. Not uh, please give me money. Yeah, I think the big elephant in the room in those conversations, always the money. Love that idea of just, you know, try to release that tension so you can just focus on the, the main stuff. Also for the accelerator, I think and also in my head, I don't have experience with them, but I have participated in just the interview process or know it from the distance that I think except why why Combinator, the others are just a copycat and they try to find you founder and all of that. They also have a participation fee. So I think at best, it's, it's not going to get you what you want unless that's the best option you have. And for example, for us, it was a no-brainer that a strategic angel investor or VC would be the best. We have also had a crack at trying to raise fund, you know, using NFTs because we, the previous mm. version of our idea needed a community. But that's always a bit... It, in your head, it always looks really cool that you can just gather a group of people, but you need to have man ex expectation management and all of that. And yeah, it's just a bit harder because some of those people could be a bit impatient in the beginning and need you to deliver. But, you know, some investors, because they have a longer term vision, then they're not going to grill you over all the steps. Uh, Aram, do you have any uh, feedback about this? Um, no, I think I agree with all the points. Um... Uh, the, the point you mentioned about the kind of public fundraising uh, as a path, uh, I think if you have a strong community management skills, that, that is a sensible path, in my opinion. Uh, as you mentioned, expectation management, like making sure the, the community is a high quality, uh, has high quality standards in, in a sense that... Um, our experience, like we tried a, like a kind of a mini project and the people that were kind of joining that community, they had an expectation of a getting a quick airdrop, quick money. And that, that wasn't not the correct core if you want to have that person to stay around for like at least one year. That like with, with that mindset, you're not going to get those kind of people. Even if that person is a long-term thinker, the way they join this community is not long-term. So, um, if if you have the skill of you know the community management and ha can have a, like a high quality, um, I would say that's a sensible path because you know the NFTs and tokens. That's exactly what they unlock. You know, ability for people to uh, in, um, you know get exposure to. Um, a team or an idea that they believe in sooner than before. In, in, in a traditional world, it's not as easy for people to get exposure if they believe in a certain idea. But with NFTs and tokens, it is possible for you to intentionally say that, hey, I, I, I think I really believe in this product and I want to kind of uh, support it uh, and have some sort of equity. I mean, besides the problem around the security aspect of it. Um, 
but uh, yeah, b- besides that, um, um, I would say, yeah, st- staying with what what is your strongest, let's say, um, connection. Like if if you don't have any connection, then going through accelerator might give you know give you exposure to some connections. Hackathons, I think that's actually the the best, and um, this is something that I'm gonna think about it more actually. Because we haven't done a uh, like, lot of hackathons ourselves. But uh, now that you mentioned it, I was like, okay, that's interesting. Because it's a win-win for everyone. You get to show yourself, uh, you know, show your idea and see how people kind of receive that idea. Do they think that is a stupid idea or do they think that's an interesting idea? And what do they say about it? And also get exposure to maybe customers and also investors. So yeah. I, I really like that one. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's uh, my thoughts. Yeah, incentivizing just a group of people through tokens and these things. And, you know, you mentioned the example of alchemy. If you can provide value to the alchemy community in whatever way, and you just get you get attention, you get PR, you get customers, you get everything um, as a result of that. So I think that's going to be a win uh, for everyone. Um, in the conversation we had with the investors, it always was important for them that is someone there that can build a product, you need that technical expertise, obviously, if it's a technical product. And also, do you have someone that it's, it is breathing customer, basically, you know, you yeah. are trying to just go and talk to customers, try to bring them over. I, I'm sensing that maybe that was the case for you uh, as well. Um, and also, one of the things that I'm always hoping, especially after the years go by, that uh, you know, those investors will focus on the quality of the people and their mindset and hopefully not their gender. Uh, did you kind of face any bias or something against, if you can share or do you can just talk about it at a high level, but did you experience anything similar to that in those conversations? Yeah, for sure. And I think when investors are uh, they are experts at pattern matching um, there is no right or wrong answer in, in an investment um, and they won't know for five to down the road whether it was a right investment or not so what they do is they look for successful investments and basically try to recreate that and when historically so many of the investments they've made have been in white males that are probably come from technical backgrounds Um, they are pattern matching to that type of success and trying to find basically replicas of that. So from their business model, it it makes sense, but I did definitely experience a lot of bias from being um, a female. Um, And I'm sure you experience it from being um, of different race. And I myself, I'm also mixed race. So a couple different dimensions. Um, And I think it, it comes from investors. It comes from customers. Um, and I think especially in Web3, it comes from a place where uh, Web3 still feels like a very small, tight-knit community, even though everyone says they want it to grow to the masses. It still um, feels like, like people are trying to hold on to the value that's being created and, and not not share it. So um, I think that it was very helpful for me to have a co-founder. Um, props to people who can be single founders, but I needed that male co-founder um, and we uh, believed in each other. We believed in the vision um, and it allowed us to move past when investors were just not respecting uh, myself, not respecting us as a team. Um, our customers similarly would not respect me on calls. We continued to push through and found the customers and the investors that did believe in us. Um, so it, it definitely happens. Um, I see it all the time. I'm sure you all see it. Um, it's an unfortunate fact, but hopefully by... Um, being uh, founders that have raised money and hopefully will have successful outcomes, it can be another example of success to to other um, female and people of color that are trying to go out and raise money. Yeah, absolutely. I think the world is a canvas that you know people need to try and try different things. And uh, um, I really think that, as you mentioned, biases have a history and have their own use. But I think for every new conversation, I try to always reset. You know. It's a new person. It's a new conversation. And let's try to go with open mind. And uh, again, it doesn't matter if it's a customer call, it's an investment call, it's a friendship call. But no matter what it is, I think it just makes sense to be as flexible, as open-minded as you can be. And hopefully we can get closer to that. I really enjoyed this discussion about the fundraising and everything. I think a lot, a lot of useful advice. Just as a last question, um, imagine you're successful at raising the funds. Uh, what are the 
things that maybe for earlier stage startup, what are the things that you have raised that money for? Obviously, salary could be one of them, but what, what did you have in mind when you raised that fund? Say, how I'm going to spend this money to go to the next stage? Uh, Caitlin, what was your experience about that? Yeah, salary was a big one. Uh, obviously, you know, lawyer fees and all of that. I think for us, um, we did a whole kind of rebrand redesign, which helped us get a lot of credibility in the market, given our landing page tends to be the first thing that people see. Um, so a lot of it was that. And then a lot of it was also just tech costs. Um, we had thought about also outsourcing some development. We ended up not doing that and building it ourselves. But how do we just speed up? We have this vision. We know what we want to build. We have an MVP and it all becomes how do you get credibility and usage, which was why we did this rebrand. Um, and then how do you actually get the product to market faster to the level of robustness and built out to the way that you want it? So whether that's outsourcing development or making sure that you know your infrastructure fees are covered um, or that your tech costs and IT costs are covered. Um, those are kind of the two dimensions we spent it on is how do you speed up development and then how do you kind of get traction or the ability to go out um, and uh, talk to customers. Absolutely. I think there are some pesky costs that you can never get rid of. I mean, you you need to pay some lawyers, you need to get pay some um, AWS or whatever tools yep. are necessary for you. Uh, but yeah, I think for us is, uh, Aram can elaborate on it, is we are at this stage, for example, like zero or one customer. Then we're trying to get to, you know, 20 or 30 customers um, that really love what we have. So these yeah. 30 customers, like whatever we do, is it the product? Is it, you know, trying to figure out the pricing? We try to always avoid premature scaling, uh, which mm -hmm. is about, you know, for example, don't spend crazy money on advertising or this because it's not going to be a scalable business. And so we try to, again, like pre-seed should be pre-seed, uh, you know, type of things that you do. And so, yeah, that was our main focus. Aram, what do you think about this? Um, yeah, one, I think one of the most important kind of lessons for me was that with this money, you cannot have a big company. Uh, you cannot have hire like 40, 50 people, let's say, you know, the next stage. Um, and you cannot kind of expect to have enough revenue to be able to hire, you know, 40, 50 people. So you need to be clear that this money is it's not for that. It's not for, for me to have a sustainable, large, big company with a lot of profit. Th this is definitely not that. Um, this is for you to work on your story. Like the, the next step for you is that the VC, let's say, right? The next stage, like series A yeah. or seed or whatever. That's your next stage. You need to be ready for that stage. And this money should be spent for that. The best kind of spending is if it's about customer development, as you mentioned, you know, ways for you to get you to more and more customers to be able to have valuable discussions with them and like building the product. That's the best way of spending it. But the goal is actually not to have enough customers that I can have enough revenue and is also not to have the final version of the product. These are impossible. Like by definition, this is pre-seed money. So you need to be ready for that next stage. Uh, one of the, let's say, things that everybody will want to do and everybody regrets it. And again, the new, new people will do it, including ourselves. So spend money on things like Google ads, for example, like you're like, oh, I can, let me just test it. Maybe, maybe this time will be different for my startup will be different. You will try it. You will get some things, but that wouldn't be useful for you to create your story for the next stage. Usually it's not going to be that, uh, it's kind of impossible um, because like, think about it, who clicks on Google ads? Like, you know, is usually um, like the, the person who clicks on a Google ad is the person who needs to usually have a, like a clear idea of who are the top brands in this space. It, like it's more for established, like if you're selling like a shoe or, you know, selling a product that is already, you know, a known thing for that customer and you're targeting the tail end and you already have uh, like a funnel and then you spend that money on that ads uh, and, you know, you, you just double that funnel, right? Uh, for us, that was a kind of the learning. I mean, we might learn even, you know, better 
what, how to do it. But one of the most things was do not spend it on, on, on things that you feel like that's going to help you scale. Kind of free lunch. Oh, I spent 5K, 10K on Google ads and will get free lunch. A lot of customers without actually having to put the sweat uh, into making it happen. Uh, I think, yeah, these are the things that I, I would avoid. And the, the last point was uh, one of our investors from day one, he mentioned, do not forget about your spending. It's so easy for founders to forget about that. You know, things are ongoing. You're not checking these things out. And you think like, okay, what, what cost do I have? I have like a few, like a, a couple of uh, uh, maybe hundred of dollar in, in, you know, AWS costs, uh, infra cost, And then I have these salaries that, okay, and nothing else. And then when you look, you're like, oh my God, I actually have 500 subscriptions that I don't even use. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I think uh, this kind of checking every month, what is the burning rate? Um, money tends to run away. Uh, that's the nature of money. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, there are only a few things that I want to track as an early stage startup because we don't have all that tools. But you know, this cash flow burn is just definitely on top of it. I have a really simple Google sheet that, you know, keep track of all these things and uh, like we have an accounting tool that makes sure that okay are we paying for this definitely not okay let's cancel it because uh, we should be as frugal as possible in this early stage to make sure that we can go to the next stage um caitlin any last words you have for fellow founders that are looking for raising funds <laughs> um it's an exciting time um i think to your point it's it's about raising just enough money to get to the next milestone. Um, and I think every startup's different, every person's different, every co-founder story, every co-founder dynamic is going to be different. And it's raising just enough money to prove that you can get to product market fit, to prove that you can, it's not about scaling and building and marketing right now. It's just about um, executing, finding customers and finding product love and customers that love your product um, and scaling can come later. Um, and it's, you know, you have a vision, but it's really about just getting to the next step and putting one foot in front of the other. Um, and the nice thing is, you know, you'll find other founders similar to, to you guys in this call right now that are going through similar situations. And I found that founders, other founders are always incredibly willing to help and give advice. And that's been really helpful for us. So thanks for, thanks for doing calls like this. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the points was, you know, if people hear this and say, hey, I have this problem or that problem, I'm not alone, basically. These are the, all the challenges yeah. that we see, like, it's kind of repeating between. So, yeah, I think it was, I hope it was helpful for a lot of people. Aram, Caitlin, thank you so much for this discussion and thank have a really so great much. day. Yeah, same. Have thank a great day. Thank you so day. much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.